Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, we love you, we cherish you. We, we are privileged to be called your children. We don't take it for granted, O oh Lord. We, we acknowledge that it's, it's a privilege to be called sons of God. Thank you. Thank you for giving us this time. Thank you for the gift of friendship, family, and just brotherhood, sisterhood. We, we thank you, God. This is about you. All this is useless and worthless if you're not here. We know each other too well. We know our stupidity and our foolishness. More than that, we know ourselves. So if you allow us to just be here on our own, that's all this is going to be. And we are tired of ourselves. We, we cry to change in our lives, oh God. We, we cry to, for transformation. So something new in this place is your presence, not our presence. We need you. Like David would say, as a deer pants for water in a desert place, we long for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. My wife is here. Brittany. <laughs> she doesn't like that, so I had to do it. Um, today we are going to be talking on a topic uh, called lament. And I asked Corey to bring this because I, I talk too much. So the way I try to control myself is trying to write, to write things down so that I can stick to a pattern. And we're going to talk about three stories from the book of Matthew chapter 11. Um, the first story is going to be a story of a guy by the name of John. John the Baptist. Most of you might know him. We're going to talk about him in a minute. The second story is going to be by, by, for, of another dude by the name of Jesus. I think some of you might know him. If you don't know him, we're going to talk about him today. Um, the third story is the story called the story of this generation. That's how Jesus puts it. So these, these are the three stories that we're going to try to understand the topic of lament. But first of all, this is a weird word. What's lament? What is, what is, what is lament? In our culture, probably in this part of the world, this word is a weird word. Um, but where I come from? In a Jewish culture, I just met a brother from Zambia. This, this word makes so much, so much sense. We even have a word in our language. We call it kubuma. Kubuma in English can be translated as groaning or mourning. It's, it's something you feel in the inside that you cannot use words to explain. Something that there's, there's no letters on the alphabet that have been put there yet to describe how it feels on the inside. I was on the phone call with my wife as I was coming here, and then I got another phone call from Malawi. And I asked her, can I pick up a phone call? She doesn't know this, but I, she said, yeah, sure. And I picked the phone, and it was one of our friends that we do ministry with. And they're on the phone, and they're just crying. As I was driving here, I told Corey that that's the reason why I was running late. And I'm like, what's wrong? 
And this person is, they're just like going like, I feel like I'm dying. The way my body is feeling, the way my heart is beating, they're in the hospital right now. And they're a believer. And they're just crying like, I, I feel like I'm dying, but I'm 19 years old. I've just started ministry in a way that I've always loved ministry. And they kept saying, can you pray that God should forgive me? If this is happening because I've sinned, please just pray that God should forgive me. No words that I was saying helped the situation. And I knew that there's nothing I can say right now that can make this person feel better. I caught my sister and her husband and they drove there. And I told her, I told that person that, hey, I'm going to be talking with a bunch of youth and they're zealous for prayer and we're going to pray for you. And can we just take a moment to pray? This, this is a girl who is serving in our ministry. Her name is Lizzie. So if you can just take a minute with me to pray, uh, I would really appreciate it. Father, I told Lizzie on the phone that I'm going to ask these guys to pray for her. So we come to pray that may you hear her lament right now. It's, it's useless for us to just talk about these things and not experience them. And what a coincidence, if it's a coincidence that I would be dealing with this at a day, a day like this. We ask, may you be there for her. And everyone who is comforting her, may you be there for them. Speak a language that we can't speak. Thank you that you hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. In, in the book of Psalms, before we go to Matthew, in the book of Psalms, you will see the verse on the screen, uh, Psalms chapter 13. It's uh, one of the passages that anyone who wants to teach lament, they have to go to because it breaks down, it summarizes what this is all about. And I'll go verse by verse. There are six verses. If you look at those verses in two sections, Two the first two verses, the second two verses, and the last two verses, you notice what is happening. So we'll just read through them, and then as we're discussing it on a broader topic, I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm trusting God that we are going to get the essence of the message today. And the Bible says in Psalms chapter 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me. Verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Whatever situation David is going through, he's asking a real question to a real God who is a reality to him. And the questions are not philosophical questions. He's asking for a time frame. How long? I know about patience. I know about endurance. I know about all things work together for the good of those who love God. I know that. But can you give me a timeline? How long is this going to keep going on? How long are my enemies going to be triumphant over me? Now, let's go to verse 3 and 4. Verse 3. He has changed the tone it's no longer just 
a, a, a mourning, a groaning, a crying, an utterance of words, it's now going to what he desires from his heart. And he goes, consider and answer me. Oh Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. If you don't show up, I'm done. The situation that I'm in right now, if you do not show up, it's the end of everything. Verse 4, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. What is he saying? It's not just about me. It's a clever way to pray, and you should try, try it one time. If I fall down when I say Jesus loves me, guess who is going to be embarrassed? Not only me, you're going to be ashamed too. Because they're going to say, look at that person who says Jesus loves them and Jesus is good and all of a sudden their life is breaking apart and he's honest. Verse 5 changes the tone again. Verse 5 and 6, he's now expressing why? Why is it that he feels like he can come to God? Here's the reason. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I'm not speaking this in, an, in the air. Your love has been proven in my life again and again and again and again. Verse 6 says, I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's very interesting the way this verse is put. The first verse says, how long, O Lord? The last, phase, the last verse says, he has dealt. Not he will deal. Not he's dealing. He's speaking in past tense, even though the situation is still going on. Because verse 5 said, I, have, I know your steadfast love. If, if you don't get anything, if I am too much all over the place and you want a summary of what lament is, that's what lament is. Lament is an honest cry of, 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 of a believer, of someone who knows the loving God, and they know that God answers prayers. Now, if we just stop there, the question is, how does that look like in action? Because we're a generation who love movies. You know, we, we, don't, we don't just like reading. The only person I met that I saw that really loves reading is my wife. Like, she, she, she loves reading. If there's a package, I know every second package is going to be books. And it's always, can, can you read this book with me? You know, it's a good book. And I'm like, you read everything, girl. You know, relax. Let's, let's watch some criminal minds. Let's just, you know, I'm... I'm so I'm like, I, I, I love stories. I grew up in a culture that we, we didn't know how to read and write, but stories are always there. So the way history is passed on is through stories. So I thought, why not talk about a story? In, John, in Matthew chapter 11, now I would like for us to go there if you have a Bible. Matthew chapter 11 demonstrates that story in, in action. But I said there are, there, are three, there are three stories that we are going to be discussing. The first story is the story of a man called John. And the, 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 the other story is by, the, by a man called Jesus. Then, in the middle here, we'll put um, that letter, generation. And if, 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 if this was the way I was thinking about it, it's like an alphabet. If you put A, 
And if you put, well, that's an, a weird Z. Z. In our, in, our, in our culture, we don't call it Z. It's, it's Z, it's Z. So if you see me, hear me saying Z, I'm, 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 I mean Z. So just bear with me. Matthew chapter 11 tells us a story. Verse 1. I think it's somewhere there. The Bible says... The Bible says when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Oh, yes, it's there. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Remember in, Matthew, in, in Psalms, what were the first two verses talking about? There were questions. Amen? 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 The first two verses were questions. And here's the story of a guy who is going to Jesus. Hey, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? The next verse. And say to him, uh, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and, do, and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. And I want us to pay attention to this. Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, pay attention to this verse because we're going to dwell here in a second. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, what's happening? What is this story about? What is this story about? What, what is happening in this story? It's John the Baptist. Has, he has been arrested by a man called Herod. There are, there are many Herods in the Bible. The first Herod is the guy who killed the, ch the children uh, when Jesus was born. When the wise men are going to see Jesus and they stop by him, and he goes, okay, if you find the child, come tell me. And then he feels duped. He feels cheated. And then his plan to avoid another king taking over his authority is this. I'm going to kill all the kids. From the age of two to zero. I'm just going to go and kill everyone. If you go to the book of Matthew chapter 2, verse 18. Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, tells a story of what happened in that moment. And the Bible says, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, and what? If you're reading with me. 
Again, Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's talking about when the kids are dead and the mom is so devastated and is like, I'm done. Nobody can comfort me. There's nothing you can say that will comfort me. And the Bible says this word was, pre- was, was fulfilled when Herod, who is the father to the Herod that we see now, killed all the kids in this vicinity that Jesus was born. Now, John confronts Herod because he, he marries his, his brother's wife and fights with his brother's wife. And John confronts him and is like, it's, it's not okay. You can't just go around and grab a woman like it's a thing. She, she's just a thing. And he's mad. He's mad. Like, dude, I've heard you're baptizing people. You're doing all the cool stuff, but not for me. Come on. I'm the president. I'm the king. He throws him in prison. Now, if you, talk, if you know about John, John is the guy who introduced Jesus, right? He comes and he says, hey, there's this dude called Jesus. He's cool. He's going to help us. You know, he's going to bring about good stuff. And they're like, maybe it's you because you look cool. Like, you were born in a miraculous way. You don't eat anything apart from honey. You don't worry about material things. You are just in the desert. So maybe it's you. And he goes, no, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the guy who is coming. Trust me, the one who is coming is an amazing guy. By the, by, by the way, when, when, I'm, when, when he was baptizing Jesus, the Bible says there was a voice in heaven that came to confirm and affirm what John was saying. He's a real deal. Like this guy who just came, he's a real deal. Jesus is real. And the Bible also says there was actually a physical evidence. By, by what? It was a bird. A dove comes down and lays on Jesus. And John is standing there and he's like, oh my gosh, my ministry is affirmed. Jesus is coming now. Watch this. When Jesus starts the work, he starts doing what we read in Matthew chapter 13, chapter 11 where he's just healing people left, right, and center. Here's, here's what's happening, though. John is in prison, and he's hearing what's happening out there. And he goes, does this, does this guy know that I'm, I'm in prison? I mean, I, I heard the story of Lazarus. You know, if you can resurrect someone from the dead, a prison shouldn't be a big deal. I mean... Even if it's not for my sake, a lot of theologians argue that John was not doing this for himself. He was doing this for the sake of his disciples. He's sending them to a guy who can explain what's happening to him. So he goes, can you, can you, can you do something? That's, that's where we get the story in Matthew chapter 11. Now, the answer that Jesus gives to John's story is this. Go tell that dude what's happening. We read the story, right? Go tell everyone what's happening. The, 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 the dead have been resurrected. The lepers have been healed. Things are happening. Amazing, cool stuff are happening. If, 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 you, if you're hungry, just hang around Jesus. You know, he's going to take five loaves of bread and you're going to have leftovers. That's how cool this dude is. You know, if, if you have issues, just sneak around people and touch the, his clothes. And you're going to be okay. If you have people who are confronting you with questions, just go to Jesus. He's going to shut them down. By the way, he, he, he loves to drink. You know, there was a wedding. Beer, wine was not enough. 
Guess what he did? He just went outside, found some water, and poof, wine. The best wine you've ever drunk. He's a, too good, he's a cool dude. But John, on the other hand, he's the other extreme. He sleeps in the desert. He only has one pair of clothes. He doesn't do any miracles, by the way. He hasn't healed anyone. He, all the message he preaches is repent. If you don't repent, Jesus is coming. He's going to wipe you like a winner, you know. That's his message. They're all scared about with John. Jesus, on the other hand, is this amazing dude who is just like hanging with kids. Kids come to him, and their stories are complete opposites. Jesus says something about John. He says, if you go in the Old Testament and you line up all the prophets, Moses, Elijah, Joshua, everyone, there's not one prophet who can be greater than John. I mean, I, I don't want us to lose sight of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is trying to tell people that don't think John is weak. Lament doesn't mean weakness. The fact that John is asking questions doesn't mean that he has lost the edge. Amen. The fact that John is sending questions and saying, is he one? You shouldn't mistake that for weakness, for the failure of his faith. By the way, if you take the whole Bible, the whole test, Old Testament, you'll find that there's no one who is greater than John. But let me tell you something that is happening right now. Can you go back to verse 12, please? Verse 11 of Matthew chapter 11. The Bible says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than who? John the Baptist. Anyone who was born can never surpass the level of just everything about John. Then he finishes by saying, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let me put it in a way that we can understand. If you put the kingdom of God here, which is what Jesus is bringing, he's the, he's the king, and then if you put the time that John lived to the, to the, to the, all the way back to Genesis, so from Genesis to Malachi, or to the time John is on, on earth, this is what Jesus is saying. Put everyone in this circle, Moses and Elijah and everyone, put them in that circle. The one who is the bare minimum in the kingdom of Jesus, the one who can't even spell Jesus. Like, hey, can you spell the word Jesus and you put an S, an, an, a Q in there? If you are not even able to spell the word Jesus, the name Jesus, but you are in the kingdom, what Jesus is arguing here is this. You are greater than the man who is the greatest of all times. I, I want that to sink because the next argument that John is make, Jesus is making will start to make sense. What is the argument? This is what Jesus starts to say then. Now, if you notice, the Bible will start changing the language. We will start talking about children. This is what the Bible starts saying. From the days, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he's Elijah who is to come. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we are going to talk about the final story, which is the story of our generation. Here's the story, verse 16. But what shall I compare this generation? Which is the generation Jesus sends? But if you, if, if you think about it, it's, it's happening until today. What shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the fruit for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. We played a fruit for you, and you did not dance, and we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Now, before we start going any further, let me define those words. A dirge is, a, is like a poem, but a funeral poem. You are, when someone is dead, and you're trying to, to eulogize them. That's what a dirge is. Now, what is the example Jesus is giving? Jesus is saying, this generation is like, forgive my drawing, but I know you'll get it. Don't laugh too hard. I'm trying my best here. This is a boy. This is a girl. Okay. <laughs> the Bible, Jesus is saying, this generation is like kids who are playing. You know, they're playing and they're playing. But there's a group of kids. Let me draw another. <laughs> what did you learn today? We saw a drawing of weird kids on the board. <laughs> so he says there's a group of kids. Now, listen to this very carefully. Jesus is saying... This group of kids is complaining to this group of kids. And what is their complaint? These kids are saying, whatever we do, you don't do with us. No matter how much we do it, you don't get it. This is what we have tried. We've tried to play music to you so that we can play together. But you're not dancing the way we want you to dance. So we thought maybe, maybe... We should change. You like crying. You like lamenting. Maybe music is not your thing. You're just every time, every second, just in tears. Let's change. Let's try a dirge. Let's try some sad stuff. You don't even cry. Jesus is saying, our generation, this is what's happening. Now, what is Jesus implying? He gives an explanation of what he's implying. What is he saying? He says, verse 18, for John came, can we read together there? For John came, and they say, now, pause for a moment. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, there's a guy who was the saddest guy to ever live. He was not eating, he didn't drink, he was just living in the wilderness. What did they say about him? John, we, we thought you can cry, but you don't even know how to cry. You have a demon. Whatever John did was not enough to his generation so much that they killed him. Because he didn't know how to lament. And Jesus goes further and says what? 
the Son of Man came, what? Doing what? And they say, look at him. A glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We are trying some music, but Jesus doesn't even know how to party. If he parties with us, he's just partying with the wrong crowd of people. He takes, he takes, he takes you know, tax collectors and prostitutes. Come on, that's not why we are playing the music. That's not how we dance here. And then to John, this generation is turning around and saying, that's not how we cry here. That's not how we cry here. Now, here's, here's what's happening. Here's the point of all this. What Jesus is saying is this. You can never do enough to this generation. Whatever you will do to this generation will never be enough. If you are a happy person all the time, you annoy someone. You're not sensitive. Why don't you understand that we have problems? Every time we meet, it's always, hi, bro, come on, yeah, yeah, you know. Why? Why, 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 why? Don't you care about what's happening in Ukraine? I mean, there's someone who always tells me, they are starving kids in Africa. All this happiness you are having here, you know, wasting food, they are starving kids in Africa. If you try to cry, you have to be careful in whose presence you cry. Because if you cry, there's going to be someone who's going to look at you weird. I thought Christians have to be strong. Why are you crying if your Jesus is that powerful? Why do you look like things are not working for you if Jesus is that powerful to you? Even though the situation you are going through, there are no words that can utter. You are in a relationship that you thought is going to last, but all of a sudden it's broken. You thought your parents support you in your decisions, but all of a sudden they're changing their mind last minute. I'm in school and I'm working hard, but it doesn't feel like it's enough. My job doesn't appreciate me. My marriage is falling apart even though I'm trying to do everything I can. I just feel tired. I, I, I can't put words to how I feel except I'm just done. And the only language that makes sense is for me to cry. But guess what? If you are like me, you'll be honest and say there are some places that you are sensitive to cry in. If we are honest, there are only a few people that you feel vulnerable enough to say the truth. Why? Because you know, no matter how much you can cry, someone is going to tell you, that's not how we cry. That's not how it's done. You're just doing it wrong. If you can just, you know, if you can just, 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 things are going to get better. You're, you're not hurting enough. You're not doing enough. That's the generation that Jesus says we are living in. And he says, as long as you're trying to play to the music of this generation, there's not going to be a lament that is going to be enough. As long as you're playing to the music of this generation, let me tell you stories. There's a guy called John who tried it in the other extreme of not eating and drinking. Guess what? What did they call him? You have demons. There's another guy who was a happy guy everywhere, miracles, signs and wonders. Guess what they said? 
come on, you can't be hanging around that group of people. You know them. You know them. There's a group of people that if you hang around, us church people will come to you and say, why did you talk to that person again? Amen? We're not going to mention groups and names because we don't want, I don't want to, I, don't, I want Corey to invite me again, so I'm not going to mention groups. But we know, we know there are some settings that even ourselves, we feel like, can I be there? Now, why is this story important to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the point of lament? If I just come here and say crying is okay, you just have to cry to God. This is what we have done. We have set each other for the huge amount of failure, and it's going to be heartbreaking. When you read the story of Jesus, let's jump to verse 28 of that story. Verse 28 says, there's something that Jesus says in that passage. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you find rest for your souls. This lady says, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is what? My yoke is easy, and my burden is what? I had a problem with this verse, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's the problem I had. I mean, can't you just take the burden off completely? Like, if you, a yoke is something you put on a cow's neck to direct it in the right direction, so you put stuff. I had a problem with this verse because I was like, if Jesus is so powerful, why is he still leaving a yoke? I get it, you're saying it's light, but why? Why, why still give me a yoke, you know? But here's what Jesus is doing in this verse. He's saying, even if I can remove the yoke, you still feel like you have a yoke. But if I give you something that is lighter, if I give you something that is more burdensome, I promise you, you will not have to dance to the music of our generation anymore. And Jesus says, come to me. He says, come on, guys, come on, guys. You don't have to try and find a solution for the sadness you are going through. You don't also have to find a solution that gives you joy forever. If you can just get this, come to me. Come to me if you are tired. I will give you a yoke. You'll still be preoccupied, but it doesn't have to be this extreme. For that reason, that is why we cry when it's heavy. Because Jesus' burden is not supposed to be burdensome. Hallelujah. Amen, church. Jesus' yoke is not supposed to be heavy. According to Matthew chapter 12, chapter 11, verse, 8, verse, verse 28 to verse 30, Jesus says, my yoke is not supposed to be burdensome, so it's okay when it feels like you're crumbling to let it out. Psalms chapter 13 was talking about that. If you feel like something is not okay, it's not right, Jesus says you can come to me. You don't have to pretend we are Christians. We have to be strong. The pastor said Jesus is good. And I, it feels like he's not good to me, but he's good to everyone. So I'm going to pretend to go to church and smile. Hallelujah. It's all good. But you are crumbling inside. 
Jesus says it shouldn't be like that. Lament is a gift that God has given to the church who believes that God is powerful. The world was not supposed to be this, this way. It was because of sin. Therefore, we can cry to a God who can change it all. Instead of pretending, it's okay. We are at youth. I mean, we are supposed to smile all the time. Jesus says, my burden is not supposed to be burdensome. My yoke is not supposed to be that way. So come to me. Let me finish by a story of a, a, a little story. I call it a little story. It's a, a story of a girl, sisters actually, Mary and Martha. They are besties with Jesus. You know, they hang in the same circles. He's, he's sick one day, and they send a message. Hey, can you come help me? And Jesus stays two more days. And we're like, come on. They have called you to help, and you're chilling, relaxing. After four days, Jesus says, let's go. And they arrive. The, the dude is dead. He's buried. The tomb is sealed. And Mary is honest. Martha is honest with Jesus. He goes, if you, took, if you had come you know, a few days ago, this would have not happened. But you are late. That's why my brother is dead. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. Now, the other sister comes along. If I ask you this, you have to be able to give me an answer if you've been in the youth ministry for so long. What does the shortest verse in the Bible say? There's someone who didn't answer, so maybe they don't know. Can you say it louder? What is the, the shortest verse in the Bible say? Jesus. Now, that's true. Jesus wept. In other words, Jesus lamented. This is the fascinating part about that story. The next minute, Jesus goes to the graveyard and resurrects this dude. Now, I'm always confused that, dude, if you are going to go to the grave and resurrect the dude out and he's going to come out, why are you crying? <laughs> Can't we skip the crying part and let's, let's have the joyous stuff, you know? Why are we weeping when you're going to do something that is going to be fun for my, for my brother. And funny enough, it almost seems like the writer of the book of John was in a hurry and was like, God, should I really put this verse in there? And God is like, put it there. Come on. I don't want to show Jesus in tears. And God says, put it there. And he goes, okay, Jesus wept. And then he jumps to the other part. <laughs> I feel like in our breaking moments, that's how we feel Jesus is doing it. We feel like Jesus is just sliding through our weeping moments. We feel like the, the most important part of our lives is when Jesus is resurrecting our dead situations. But guys, Jesus weeps. Hallelujah. Say amen. In Africa, we say amen when I say hallelujah. Say amen. <laughs> He weeps, he cries. Even if he can work on your situation, the crying part is the most important part to him as well. As a matter of fact, the first, the first cry in the Bible, the first part we hear about crying is by the, by the blood of a man called Abel. He is killed by a brother, and the Bible says even his blood was crying, and God came down to do something about it because he understands when you're breaking. And I, what is the message for today? Life sucks. I thought in Africa things were, were tough until I came here. I told my wife, things are tougher here than in Africa. 
you guys have it harder than we have it. Because you guys are told it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be okay. You have money. You have the government. You don't experience war. Ever since this country was founded, there's never been war from another country in this land. So when you are crying, guess what? The question is, why are you crying when they're starving kids in Africa? You guys have it harder. But what is God saying? He understands. He knows it. His presence is the greatest gift that he gave you. He's with you in that moment. My wife always encourages me when he tells me about the women he works, she works with. She always tells them this. When you were committing, when, when you were in that moment, when you were experiencing that pain, God was there. If you have ever committed a sin that up to this day keeps you awake and you think, can he forgive me? If you keep tripping over the same sin again and again and again, and you're wondering, can, he's not just going to change you, he's there when you're breaking down. I don't know about you, but having someone in the midst of pain who understands my pain makes it lighter. And Jesus says, I am there with you. It's okay. And what is the message today? Jesus wept, even though he was going to do something. He's crying with you, even though he's promising you he's going to change your situation. As a matter of fact, Easter means he already dealt with it. He said it is finished. There's nothing. Death got nothing on Jesus. That's what some, some, some famous actor would say. Death has nothing on Jesus. Broken relationship has nothing on Jesus. Can we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that the story of John and your story and the story of our generation will bring us to a resting place, which is your presence. A place where the burden doesn't have to be this heavy and allow us to feel okay to come to you and be honest, to say, God, I know they are happy, but I don't understand why they are always happy. I want my own. Father, I pray for anyone who is hurting in this room, I pray for anyone who is breaking. I pray for anyone who is at a point of giving up. I pray for anyone who feels like nobody understands them. May you make them understand that you are there with them right now. And you're going to walk with them step by step. Even though you're going to resurrect their situation, the shortest verse is for them. And you know it's hard. And help us understand that it's okay for us to lament and weep because our God can do something about our situation. Because in this generation, it will never be enough. But in your presence, it's enough. Because you finished it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.